Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, all right, welcome to the World Cup Daily Podcast, where this week, ahead of the tournament, we are previewing all eight groups, two by two, like Noah's Ark. Have you got World Cup fever yet? Well, hopefully, after listening to these podcasts, you will do. And throughout the World Cup, we will be with you every step of the way, every 5am here on the Sports Social Podcast Network and our YouTube channel, previewing, reviewing, perhaps one of the more controversial World Cups. So without further ado, let's get stuck straight in. Let's start with Group E, shall we? It seems the same thing to do when we're looking at Group E and F here on this World Cup preview. And quite the tale of two enormous teams and two pretenders in Group E as we meet Spain, ranked seventh in the world. And potentially after the European Championships, maybe they are back in contention. The managerial situation has long been resolved after uh, Luis Enrique returned to the helm and jettisoned his former assistant. Um, and the Euros were an unmitigated success. Despite the semi-final exit, they were fairly close to getting to the final and, you know, fairly fairly close to winning the thing and one of the better performing teams there. Qualification for this tournament wasn't easy by by any stretch, really, but we should all know by now that that really doesn't matter much, given that 
If you're English, you'll know all about unbeaten, lavish qualification campaigns, 100% records only to flounder in last 16s and group exits. They did leave it late to um, on the final game against Sweden to qualify, but they hold the most possession, they faced the fewest shots in World Cup qualifying, and that's because of how Luis Enrique sets them up, and thanks to the incredible crop of young players coming through from Pedri, the, the best young player at Euro 2020, to his year younger, uh, Gavi, and as well as Ansu Fati and many, many others, certainly. There is a bright future at the helm for Spain, and to be fair, like Germany, we've got two transitional names of the elite here in this group, but still two very exciting young teams. Luis Enrique's got his ideologies firmly intact, playing the Barcelona way, the traditional Spanish way as it has come to be now. Um, apparently he's wanting to become a streamer during the World Cup to further that bond between the team and fans. Journalists aren't convinced otherwise, mainly because Luis Enrique doesn't allow him, doesn't allow them in and will do things his own way. Um, journalists, of course, will then subsequently set high bars and be spiky if they're not met. But the fact remains that for Spain, this is a transitional phase. It's still a transitional phase despite the semi-finals of the Euros. Replicating that semi-final would be an incredible achievement for what is a young Spanish team, even throughout the defence. Eric Garcia as well, for one. Eimerick Laporte, young to the uh, Spanish setup. And, um, well, let's be fair, they were always going to play a 4-3-3. Fairly simple. Pedri and Gavi at the heart of that now. Sergio Busquets is probably at his last World Cup, perhaps his last tournament too, but he's got a, a natural successor in Rodri, who plays his football, of course, at Manchester City. The goalkeeper and defence have um, taken some adjusting in the past 18 months. The goalkeeper spot seems to be Unan Simons, as it was um, during the Euros. Garcia and Laporte have struck up a bit of a partnership going forward. Jordi Alba has Pili Quater and also Danny Carvajal, whoever earns that right back berth, um, provide experience out wide in the defence. And um, other weak spot for Spain is probably up front, as it has been really since the likes of David Villa and Fernando Torres. Alvaro Morata will continue to be vilified for his actions, um, whilst you've got the likes of Ansu Fati, Fernando Torres, Danny Olmo on the wings, who could easily just about play that false nine position, which we all know Spain love to dip into from time to time. Spain, well, they've shunned there always the bridesmaids, never the bride's tag in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when they went on that illustrious run of two Euros and a World Cup all on the spin. They're always exciting, but most of the time not really successful. Something that rung true in their hosting of 1982's World Cup with the, the draw against Honduras, the, the loss against Northern Ireland. And just as it had done in early eliminations in the 90s, the 98 World Cup, they'd made it out, didn't make it out the group stage, for example. The defeats to Italy, to South Korea, to France, and... Of course, the group stages of 2014 and Russia in 2018. So that illustrious history for Spain in World Cups is really 2010 or, or nothing. They, of course, suffered from the holder's curse in 2014. The managerial switch on the eve of the tournament did not help them by any means in 2018. But make no mistake, they will be one of the, uh, one of the stronger teams 
in this World Cup. So to Germany, ranked 11th in the world. And Germany right now, despite the the, uh, infancy of uh, Hansi Flick's role in charge of the German national team, feels to me what France was in 2014. There was no pressure on France after a bit of a poor spell, made the quarterfinals, lost to Germany. Germany, the eventual winners, then went on to two finals on the bounce. They are world champions now. Germany, I feel, are on that precipice, that same precipice. There's no pressure on Germany now. They've got a new manager. They've reverted back to a 4-2-3-1, new tactics, new players coming through first and foremost, of course, Jamal Musiala. For Germany, it's usually semi-finals or bust, isn't it? Now, it, for this this tournament alone, it should just be to compete, which I think should be fine. Getting out of the groups is an imperative for Germany. That will always remain a non-negotiable. Um, getting through the last 16, given Group F and the, the, the group that they're paired with for the last 16, they should be able to get through that as well, even depending on if they finish first or second. They should have enough for whoever makes it out of Group F. Um, so quarterfinals uh, and onwards is really what Germany should be striving for here. They should know the perils of a dangerous group after 2018, of course. The the miracle of Kazan, the Hervin Lozano goal of Mexico. Japan won't be easy for them. Costa Rica may cause them a problem or two. Spain, obviously, won't be easy either. And um, could be quite a could be quite a difficult group, this one. So Hansi Flick is in charge after Yogi Love left the empire, so to speak, the 15 years in charge after the Euro defeat to England in 2021. Hansi Flick, as we saw at uh, his brief spell in charge of Bayern Munich, stringent in his 4-2-3-1 application that won him the treble after a mere seven or eight months in charge of uh, the perennial Bundesliga champions. And it's not really a case of him not being experienced internationally or not being experienced as a manager. He has that day in the sun with Bayern Munich, but he's very much part of the uh, the German national team setup. He was part of the Jürgen Love fold in winning the 2014 World Cup. He was his assistant and was for a long time. And this 4-2-3-1 regimented, he stuck to it. And he'll be hoping in the next couple of years with the hosting of Euro 2024 that is on the horizon that he can mould a team maybe more so for that than now and the World Cup in 2026, which is what I think Germany should be aiming for as opposed to any success in 2022. They need to fix some key areas of weakness. Even in 2014, the the area of weakness for them was at fullback. That's remained really. Philip Lahm's retired, so they've been fairly weak in that fullback or wingback role, Robin Gerson's did play a part in the Euros. He's gone off the boil and four at the back doesn't really suit him. You've got David Raum, who's uh, moved from Hoffenheim to Leipzig. He could fill that berth quite well on the left. And because he's so marauding, a, a right back who's not of that same veracity to get forward, maybe a Tilo Carer who can fold into that that, uh, that back three, just as Benjamin Pavard did for Bayern Munich in uh, that fabled treble winning season. That is probably the way Germany are going to go, or rather Jonas Hoffman at right back who can maraud. Similarly to David Raum, of course, it will depend on opponent. Um, Leon Goretzka's injuries or lack of fitness, patchy um, medical record may go against him in terms of his midfield Robots, when he's fit, he's one of the finer box-to-box players in world football for me. Um, a lack of a Bayern Munich frontman, really a lack of a German frontman since Miroslav Klose in uh, 2014. And even then, Klose didn't play all the games in 2014, of course. 
it's probably something that is for the future in terms of German football with Yusufa Makoku coming forward. He has been selected. He's only 17. Um, he will be uh, fantastic in the future, but he's more so for later 20s, early 2030s, really, if you think about it in the long term. But he's an exciting player, obviously, the missing Timo Werner through injury, who is Hansi Flick's go-to man. Now, they could go a number of ways. Full Krug, who started the season incredibly well, top scorer in the Bundesliga. They could go with Kai Havertz, more of a front false nine, who's, in my opinion, better as a number 10. But that position in the German national team belongs to uh, Thomas Muller. And essentially what he's going to be is a Bayern Munich light going forward. You could easily have Serge Gnabry up front, really as Leroy Sané, Jamal Musiala patrol the wings. Obviously, Joshua Kimmich is going to be the main man at number six, Manuel Neuer in there. So it's a Bayern heavy, heavy team, really. And um, at, at the back, you've got some exciting prospects coming through. You've got Nico Schlotterbeck, who will probably fight for a, a starting 11 jersey alongside his new Borussia Dortmund teammate, Nicolas Sula. Antonio Rudiger will be that man at the back as well. You've got... Karim Adeyemi, 20 years old, coming through as well in the team. Artem Belkocha, he's in the squad, 20 years old, recently of Southampton. Unfortunately, Florian Wirtz is injured, which is why we've got a bit of a wild card in Mario Goetze. 2014 winner with Germany. He's renewed form since he returned to the Bundesliga at Frankfurt. So he's in the squad and, and why not? For me, this is a sandbox really for Germany. Get the team together, get some experience, obviously play a couple of the young players, Makoku, Musiala. Get the right things in place for 2024, which for me would be the more pertinent trophy to go for. It's in Germany, it's the European Championship, so therefore it's inherently easier to win, or should be. And then 2026, when the World Cup um, is on the horizon again, and Germany will be dangerous, probably one of the front runners for that, um, and a very early selection to win that for me. But regardless, Germany's history at the World Cup, well, it goes without saying, doesn't it? They're the most successful European nation, um, not only with its four World Cups that they hold alongside Italy as well, but with three European championships and perpetual success. 2018, an enormous outlier for Germany as it was only the fourth time that Germany weren't at a quarterfinal or an equivalent in the World Cup. 1930, they didn't enter. 1934 and 2018, eliminated in the first round. In 1950, they were banned, of course, after the Second World War. And furthermore, even outside of that record, the great record, um, four times outside of the uh, quarterfinals, there's only been three tournaments where a quarterfinal exit has happened. 1962 against Yugoslavia in a series of games in the 50s and 60s where they always met Yugoslavia in the quarterfinals. Bulgaria in 1994 and then Croatia in 1998 and a bit of a rotten record either side of that either side of that um, third European championship win so of the 19 World Cups that Germany have played in so far they've made the semi-final or further 14 times and not even Brazil come close to that so it is a a weight of history on their back but for me temper your expectations sit back enjoy them and they will be successful in the coming years is is uh, my instruction, essentially. And next up in Group E is Japan, 24th in the world. And to be fair, given the two monsters in the group, it's quite easy to dismiss Japan. Um, and they were hardly convincing in qualification as well. Fairly profligate up front, a huge concern, obviously, against the two behemoths that they face. 
Um, in Marin, manager Moriyasu, he's been in charge since uh, the previous World Cup, July 2018. Um, he was the assistant in that um, World Cup in Russia. Also coached the Japanese Olympic squad at their home tournament in the Olympic Games, certainly. And uh, traditional as it sounds, Japan will be quick. They'll be transitional. They can play in a 4-2-3-1, but it'll be more likely a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-5-1, certainly against Spain. And Germany, defensively, they're fairly strong, although they will have to play, in my opinion, a low block, obviously the climate, and because they are aging a little bit at the back. Nagatoma, 36, um, Sakai is 32, Maya Yoshida is 34. They have got uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu, we'll, we all know about him now for his time at Arsenal. He does tend to play left centre-back. For uh, for Japan, very adept at playing anywhere across the back four. We all know that now. Um, going forward, Japan have some incredible, exciting talent. Daichi Kamada, Ta Takumi Minamino, they'll really be resting their hopes on those two players. Kamada has been incredible for the last 18 months for Eintracht Frankfurt. Minamino looks to um, hopefully be finding his, uh, finding his feet as well after failing to break into the uh, Liverpool squad as well. Wataru Endo gives a little bit of balance and much-needed experience at holding midfield as well. But really, for one of the first times in a long time, Japan have strength in depth. They've got Karu Mitoma, Daisen Maeda, Ritsu Dohan and uh, Takafusu Kubo, young, exciting uh, player in La Liga. And they've got uh, Hidemasa Marita and uh, Hiroki Ito as well. And obviously... Same goes with uh, South Korea, which we will cover tomorrow. They benefit from a mass migration to the Bundesliga and then from, from that, who knows? Um, in terms of um, outside the Bundesliga, Liga and star Junya Ito likely to be their um, attacking fulcrum alongside Osako, who uh, is their perennial goal scorer. But unfortunately, as we mentioned at the top, um, fairly profligate. They'll be hoping to change that. But history is against Japan because... Their history and so too their form dictates that they're bound for a group stage exit. So Japan debuted for the World Cup in 1998. They went out in the groups pointless, um, not pointless as in they didn't win any games or draw any games. Then the in their co-hosting tournament, they reached the last 16 in 2002. Fantastic. Then they went out in the groups in 2006. 2010 was a last 16 exit on penalties to Paraguay. 2014, an exit from the group. And 2018 was a last 16. So the pattern goes group exit, last 16 exit, group exit, last 16 exit. Re yeah, replay it in your mind. And since 2018, they made the last 16. 2022, unfortunately, and despite me, I, I think they've got a really exciting squad and could trouble Japan and Germany if they get their act together going forward. That pattern dictates that they're going out in the groups and really so too does the opposition they've got to face as well. And fourth team in this group, Costa Rica, 31st ranked in the world, um, by no means a pushover. And if you were around for the 2014 World Cup, you'll know not to discount Costa Rica, let's be honest. But in terms of qualification, bit of a scrape for them to qualify, really. They scored one goal in their first four in the uh, the big CONCACAF League and uh, won just one of that first seven games as well, but took a, uh, a turn for the better, undefeated for the second seven games, only conceded eight goals as well, and uh, beat USA on the final game to uh, get a playoff spot and then toppled New Zealand into the Inter-Confederation playoff in uh, Qatar. So they do have some experience of playing in Qatar in the heat of summer as well, 
as they qualified in June. They've not really transitioned well from the 2014 vintage into the newer generation. You have a massive gap where you have talent all from 2014, Kayla Navas, Oscar Duarte, Brian Ruiz, Joel Campbell, Celso Borges, Brian Oviedo who missed 2014's World Cup as well. They're all there. They're all in their 30s, maybe some approaching beyond that as well. And then you've got your crop of youngsters who were wanting to play, desperate to play. You've Brandon Aguilera's who plays for uh, Forest. You've got Jewison Burnett, who plays for Sunderland, of course. And they're the young talent that should be coming through but aren't. And there's a big void in the middle where you've got no peak players, which for me is probably why Costa Rica are going to bow out early. They've got Luis Fernando Suarez in charge, appointed midway through qualification, hence that new manager bounce that we were talking about. A manager with vast World Cup experience took Ecuador to their only knockout phase appearance in the World Cup in 2006. Was unable to do that with Honduras in 2014, but give it a good bash. Um, he's been scouring Costa Rica for a lot of players, regardless of um, not picking the youngsters. He gave appearances to 77, 77 players in 18 months. It calmed down a bit now, obviously. You can only pick 26. But Costa Rica, they're going to play a low block like Japan will be forced to, I imagine. The counter-attacking, um, which is obviously going to be exacerbated in this group. You've got Jewison Burnett at left wing, which will be exciting to see. Perhaps going to spring a uh, Hervin Lozano shape surprise on Germany. Who knows? And uh, Anthony Contreras up front, who will uh, more than often than not bang in the goals alongside Joel Campbell as well. We write them off, but as I said, 2014 seemed a tough group with uh, three previous world champions, Uruguay, Italy. They were both defeated. England got a draw against them, though, but that was long after England could do anything. They're a staple in the World Cup, really, and have been since 2002. The only World Cup they've missed so far this century has been in the uh, 2010 World Cup. And... Uh, Really, in 1990 and 2014, they're only two uh, knockout stage exits. They are. They have got a little bit of a propensity to surprise. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But outside of that, 2002 against Brazil and Turkey, 2006, 
against Germany and Ecuador, 2018. Of course, against the likes of Serbia, Switzerland and Brazil. Fairly abject group exits. But don't, don't write them off. Before we leave you for a little bit of a break, before we plough through into Group F, we've got a few. Just three statistics for you. Spain, 20%, that is one-fifth, of their World Cup wins came in 2010's World Cup. Germany, the last time they went out of the first round, they won their next World Cup. And Japan, their finishers have always alternated from Group Last 16 Group, as we mentioned, so... We predict a group exit for them. Unfortunately, can't break the history up there. So after this short break, we'll tackle Group F. In my opinion, the wild card group of this World Cup with Belgium, Croatia, Morocco and Canada. Join us after this short break. Welcome back. Welcome to the second half of today's show. And now we're looking at Group F with the second best team in the world, would you believe? Belgium. So, it feels like this is the golden generation's last chance. Uh, often pejorative views, and when has ever a golden generation ever won a tournament? Anyway, it feels as though it's Roberto Martinez's last chance. It feels as though it's the player's last chance to win something. They do have world-class players, we all know about that. They have a solid tactical system, which they've stuck with for now nearly a decade. We know all about that. It's all the golden generation is hallmarked to be a semi-functional manager, or at least a very good manager. Incredible players, somewhat of a tactical footing, which Belgium have over others, say Portugal in the 90s, England in the 2000s. But... Here we have an aged, aged squad combined with a tricky group, fairly tricky conditions and an unknown climate as well. Roberto Martinez has been the manager since after the European Championships in 2016, which for me was Belgium's one of their two great chances at winning a trophy 2016. Because if it had beaten Wales, it would have been Portugal and then France. And who really knows then? Um, obviously, Martinez took Belgium to their greatest ever finish in a World Cup Pippin, the class of 86, when he got them to a bronze medal in uh, in Russia 2018. Now, Martinez clearly trusted 11. Perhaps he trusts them a little bit too much as um, a number of wonder kids in Belgium's system are trying to come through, but they just surely can't. But um, there is a feeling that uh, he has outstayed his welcome at this point and the tactical scheme that they set up in 3-4-3. It's been that way since as far back as we can really remember, really. So the players know the system inside out. It's probably more of a 3-4-2-1 with the uh, the likes of Aiden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne being um, the two, and Romelu Lukaku. Probably outside of Cristiano Ronaldo, the best scorer in terms of international tournaments for the last maybe somewhat of a decade now. Um, the defence, I remember in previewing the European Championships last year, I remember saying that was creaking then. Um, only Vertonghen and Alderweireld remain centrally. Jason Denier has uh, missed out because he only managed to get a club in October. You've got the likes of Fiate, Debast, and Voutvest, who uh, who were all picked, who could who were all in for a shout of that um, of that third central spot. They're all under twenty three, so that could be the back three for the future, maybe. Because Vertonghen and Alderweireld, there's no, they can't really last too much longer. You you've got to say. 
I think Belgium's success, it probably depends on the wing-backs role and the, the, the midfield box that you have with uh, the two mainstays in central midfield, Axel Witzel and Yuri Tielemans. You've also got Eden Hazard and uh, Kevin De Bruyne. It could equally be Charles de Ketelaer, who is uh, one of those aforementioned uh, Wonder Kids who um, doesn't get too much of a, a look in as well. Um, it'll probably be Thomas Mounier and um, one of Timothy Castagne, Yannick Carrasco, Torgan Hazard on the left. I mean, Castagne can play on the right as he proved in the Euros as well, as he proves for, for Leicester on a fairly consistent basis. So the wingbacks, I feel, will be um, prevalent in how... Belgium doing this in this World Cup. Also prevalent are the fitness of two of their main players, Eden Hazard. He doesn't get many minutes. He seems to be, you know, back on the road to recovery. Whilst Romelu Lukaku, since he's returned to Inter Milan from Chelsea, he's not particularly had the best time of it um, as of late. He's returned from injury, but he's not hit his stride as you want to going into a World Cup, really. In terms of Belgium's history in the World Cup, they made their historic return in 2014. And um, since then, since 2014, they've won 10 World Cup matches, which is the same as their prior 11 tournaments. And even that features that 1986 semi-final, which was discussed earlier. And um, only there's only two teams that have appeared alongside Belgium in the previous two quarterfinals in 2014 and 2018. That's Brazil and France. So they're in esteemed they're in an esteemed company there, but the only problem I have for Belgium is, yes, they've got an old squad, tired, sort of same old, same old. Yes, that is true, but the problem they have is the group that they're paired off with in the for the last 16. Spain and Germany, it looks like one of them, and you just feel that they're both a lot fresher. They've got younger minds. The coaches are fairly new to it all, and that can be bad in experience it could also be a refreshment for those players and for the for the national team we've seen it plenty of times in the past and I think that could be the case and that could be the mode of Belgium's elimination a last 16 which we haven't seen I'm fairly certain since the 1994 World Cup against Germany and maybe off on that one now it'd be Brazil wouldn't it in 2002 my mistake but you can also count England in 1990 in that Esteem as beating Belgium in the last 16. Regardless, we move on to Croatia, 12th in the world. And of course, they're coming off their peak, the 2018 World Cup final, their only World Cup final, certainly. Since then, they've still got Zlatko Dalic in charge. He's probably not had the same success, the last 16 elimination at the Euros, 5-3 defeat to Spain. They do have a qualification for the Nations League finals for next year, under their belts. But again, as we keep mentioning on these previews, I'm not entirely certain it's too much of a barometer for success moving forward into this World Cup. I feel as though they've managed the generational transition a little bit better than Belgium. Um, they've got still got the big names in. Brozovic, Modric, Kovacic, Perisic, Kramaric, Livakovic, all from the, the core of the 2018 squad. But they've gradually mixed in some big players who are performing at high levels but are only fairly young. You've got Yosko uh, Guardiol, you've got uh, Sutalo alongside him, both early 20s. Um, it does allow Croatia to play a higher line with especially two experienced but energetic fullbacks in Borna Sosa and uh, Juranovic out wide. And really their 
veracity to cross the ball in is um, and the frequency of it um, fairly potent at doing that. So it's something to look at um, here, especially with um, late breaks into the box because Croatia's one weakness, I would say, is probably their front line. They don't, they've never truly had since Mario Mandzukic, a proper number nine who can, you know, get in and amongst it. Andre Kramaric, whilst prolific for Hoffenheim, their record goal scorer, um, he's never quite fitted in as much as you'd expect. Ante Rebic is on the, the back burner now. He's not been selected for a long time. And uh, really, it's their midfield that is Croatia's calling card. Brozovic, Modric, Kovacic, it really speaks for itself. It is... Uh, ridiculous really I, I'm fairly confident about Croatia's chances although I don't think they've they've been looked upon quite well as we uh, prepare for this World Cup because of maybe the hangover from the World Cup four years ago maybe because you know they're not new young exciting and fresh Dalic is still in charge for example but he, he's managed the transition well and there's nothing to say that they can't win the group especially alongside Belgium who've, who've failed where Croatia have you know, done quite well in, in managing that transition to, you know, stay as a uh, perennially fawn in the side of the elite, really, uh, from the likes of Spain, England, you know, etc. In terms of Croatia's World Cup history since qualifying for the World Cup in 1998, obviously post-independence, they've almost been ever present with the, uh, with the one, with the one, um, exception to that being the 2010 World Cup, where they somehow failed to qualify after, uh, being beaten home and away by England. You've got to shoehorn them in there after all the heartache Croatia have caused England. Anyway, it is quite an all or nothing vibe about Croatia in the World Cup. So you got the third place on their debut in 1998, second place in 2018. But aside from that, it's group stage eliminations who were shockingly not qualifying in the 2002 World Cup groups after they failed to defeat Ecuador in their debut World Cup in 2002, despite holding a an incredible advantage over Italy going into that final game. They got um, knocked out in 2006 to Australia after that famous game where Graham Paul gave out three yellow cards and against the likes of Mexico and Brazil in 2014 in Brazil. Fair enough, fair enough. Where they have quite a lot of players who still played in that, you know, from your Perisic's and Modric's, etc. Moving on, we have Canada, 41st. Ranked in the world. They're back for the first time since 1986. And boy, did they do it in style. The qualification standings in terms of results and points, etc. Might not look as though they did, but Canada blitzed that final stage in the CONCACAF. Formerly the HEX, as they call it in North America. Um, they'd not even got to the final stage of the North American qualifying and Central American qualifying since 1998. And John Herdman's the, the manager you know, unique pathway really from the women's game. He managed New Zealand women from 2006 to 2011, did very, very well for Canada in the 2010s, took them to uh, two Olympic games. And the other English manager at this tournament, he's moved into being a technical director and uh, manager of the Canadian team from 2018. And really Canada have reaped the rewards going from what was 100th in the world. They were 94th in the world when he took charge and they've, reached a high of 38th, really. And uh, it's all thanks, really, to a lot of his star players, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies as well, are the, are the two well-known well players. Davies will not play left-back like he does for um, his club, Bayern Munich. He'll likely play as, as a winger, as a number 10 for Canada. Jonathan David will lead the line, you'd expect, or play from the right with Kyle Lurin, 
who was a top scorer in qualification. You've got uh, Porto midfielder Stefan Estacquio. Um, he will uh, be alongside uh, fairly um, fairly experienced 39-year-old in the middle of the park. You've got Teon Buchanan at right wing, alongside Kyleran, who plays uh, play their football at Club Bruce. So burgeoning talent going forward. They'll probably set out in uh, three up front. We could play a 3-4-3, could play 4-2-3-1, defending a 4-4-2. Davies can obviously play wing-back, whilst David is, Jonathan David is adept centrally and out wide. So you've got that flexibility with this Canadian team. And Kyle Lorin, top scorer for a reason during qualification because he's very good off the ball and often scores tapping. So that may be a, a facet of Canada's play here at this World Cup. They're going into their second World Cup. They've yet to win a World Cup game, yet to even score a World Cup goal. So the onus now is on for, for the 26, that, or rather the 23. The goal is not going to score, are they? Um, the 23 outfield players to write themselves into the history books ahead of the World Cup in 2026, which Canada, of course, co-host, to score a goal, score the nation's first goal at a World Cup. The one of five teams to appear at a World Cup and not score from Trinidad and Tobago, from Indonesia, then the Dutch East Indies, China, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, who were known as Zaire in 1974. So the history doesn't say a right lot, but but they've got some uh, young, fresh, exciting names up top. They've got a very adept manager in the dugout and really a group which screams the fact that they can score their first goal, win their first game, and maybe, who knows, um, ahead of the hosting of the World Cup in 2026, maybe even get out of the groups. It, this group, for me, is there's always one in the World Cup that's up in the air. I think there's quite a few for second, third, and fourth, or second and third in this tournament, but there's not one really that you think anybody can end up anywhere in this group. And that's even with Morocco 22nd in the world in uh, our last team that we're going to look at here. They have become under new management in August. Bit of a risk, I suppose, but um, they have achieved good results in September over Chile and Paraguay without conceding since uh, since Reguay, um joined up with the uh, nation. That was, of course, thanks to um, the old manager, Vahid Halidozic, um, his dispute with Hakim Ziyech, and he becomes, the Bosnian becomes the, the really the distinction of... Um, of taking a taking three teams to the World Cup, qualifying them for it, but actually never managing a team in the World Cup. So the good news, I guess, for Morocco is that Hakim Ziyech has been reinstated here, obviously the national hero, the poster boy for Moroccan football. And Morocco happily, really, have followed suit with um, the rest of the African qualifiers. They've hired a, a compatriot into their managerial role. And yes, it is a bit of a risk to employ a manager three months out from a tournament. But the manager, he knows all about Morocco at international level. He was part of the Morocco team that made the 2004 African Nations Cup final. And really, he's got a, quite an exciting team at his disposal. Ziyech, he'll, he'll play on the wing. We all know about that. He's a shoo-in, really. Um, he was the main reason why uh, you know, the management, the previous management had such big problems beforehand. Um, it makes, you know, the wings so dangerous because going back, you've got Ashraf Hakimi, for me, the best right back in the world at the minute. Nusam Azraoui as well, he'll play on the left. He sometimes does play on the right as well for his club Bayern Munich, but he'll play on the left. He's returned to the fold 
as well. And outside of that, you've got Sofian Amrabat, who will be tasked with the holding role, fairly adept at that, and really an exciting front line. Sofian Bufal, Yusuf Nasir, he's not really benefited from um, Severe this season. They've kind of gone on the back nine a little bit severe. They've flirted with the relegation zone, bizarrely, and uh, out of the Champions League. But I have a feeling that Nasir is going to come good gonna come good in this world cup now even outside of that they've got um a fairly good defense as well we all know about roman size uh west ham fans may not have seen too much of naya fagua but um his fitness is a bit of a worry but there's two very very capable center halves in there they they have played from a short sample size i admit from uh reg wise um short time in charge four one four one um, and unfortunately, a bit of a late injury to Amina Haritu, an exciting prospect um, for me in the Bundesliga um, of late. Obviously gone to Liga now. Um, but you do have other names creeping through. Keep an eye out for uh, Andres Azadine Unai, um, number eight, will play a bit of a box-to-box role, fairly dribbly. Um, so we'll play that role to uh, perfection. And what you have here, in on paper at least, with somewhat of a new manager bounce back in them is um, an exciting, very experienced, very talented set of players in a group that for me is up for grabs. This is Morocco's sixth World Cup. And unfortunately, even in six World Cups, they've only won twice, one being against Portugal in 1986, which helped qualify them for their only knockout phase in Mexico. And they beat Scotland, of course, in the 1998 World Cup. Scotland's last match at a World Cup. They made a disappointing return after 20 years away in Russia. Were the first team, one of the first teams eliminated anyway, unfortunately. But they still wait for a second knockout phase appearance. For me, it's, it could happen. Worse, worse things, more surprising things have happened in the World Cup than Morocco, a team ranked 22nd in the world, qualifying them for the last 16. What? for me, appears to be the most open group at this tournament. So, stats before we uh, leave you in peace before the uh, before the World Cup starts. So, Canada, as we mentioned, they've yet to score a World Cup goal, but they've also not played non-European opposition at a World Cup. We'll get to do that against Morocco, of course. Belgium, they've only won one more game than they've lost at World Cups, and they've held a record of 20 wins, 19 losses, and 9 draws as well, if you were wondering. And um, as we mentioned, Belgium, 50% of their World Cup wins have come in the past two World Cups. And uh, Croatia, all but two of their World Cup wins came in a year ending in eight. So maybe that's an omen for um, a prolonged spell in the doldrums for Croatia. They've never lost to a uh, to a European team in the groups, although admittedly it is two wins, zero Zero draws and zero defeats, but still that's a 100% record. And who would put it past Croatia to not beat Belgium? It's not that wouldn't be that much of a shock, will it? And um, rather more surprisingly, Morocco, obviously they've only got two wins in the World Cup's history, but 100% of those World Cup wins have come against European teams, Portugal in 86, Scotland in 98, and sharing the group with two Europeans, why can't they double that tally to four at this World Cup? So now we've instilled a little bit of jeopardy into these two groups. I'll leave you be until tomorrow when we wrap up these group previews in the World Cup Daily Podcast with Group G and H. And a reminder that we will be here every single day with reviews of the World Cup football all the way up to the final. We'll throw in a couple of 
World Cup rewinds for you here on uh, rest days as well, looking back to World Cups of years gone by. So I hope you join us. We'll be here all month, right up until December the 20th, or there or thereabouts anyway. Thank you, and until tomorrow, silly and up the three lions. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.